This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Embiid! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast being brought to you by a few sponsors, our friends at NFL Sunday Ticket, Deal Dash, and Bet Online. So we'd like to thank all of them for helping to keep our lights on. With me, as always, very flyered up right now, the number one hockey guy on the Sixers podcast that we host, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? Uh, prepping to start my Flyers only podcast. <laughs> it's uh, I have very much enjoyed. You know, some of it is like a Twitter bit. Some of it is some of it's genuine. Some board. of it is tongue in cheek. Yeah, well, not just you, and I don't even mean just for you. I think there are a lot of people I follow that don't really give a shit about hockey that are now like me. Always been a big Flyers guy, so you know, it's it's something to be excited about and. I just Philly love Philly. Do you know what I mean? It's it's repping the city more so than me loving the X's and O's schematics of, you know, hockey and dump and chase and the, the team strategies. Hockey's a fun game to watch on TV. Uh, Fast-paced. The Flyers play an exciting brand of hockey now. They're no longer the Bard Street bullies, bullshit, grinding out. They have a bunch of fast-skilled guys who put the puck in the net. So join it. You know, they might they might go on a cut run. Who knows? It's It's fun right now. Had some drinks last night for the game, or I guess probably listening to this on Friday. Uh, but yeah, Wednesday night, it was fun. Have a nice 3 p.m. game tomorrow. Going to relax after work, chill out, maybe order a cheesesteak. Let's see. I got to tell you, man, the the rolling, the rotating start times are really fucking with my Wacky. day-to-day life. And not just, like, obviously this is for all sports because basketball has been all over the board. I believe the Sixers on Friday night have a 9 p.m. What's the point of that? What is the point of that? (laughs) It's a game that neither team... It doesn't matter, but I'm going to watch it because I'm a sicko. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So we go from, like, 4.30 in the afternoon to 6.30 to 9 to one day we might have, like, a 1 o'clock matinee. It's it's a lot, but, you know... it, these are good problems to have, I suppose. It 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 just presents a challenge to like establish a routine, which I guess is the crux of the issue for everybody in all walks of life right now. Um, so, getting back to specifically the Sixers, we're recording this before they finish out their quote unquote regular season games in Orlando, but the last one 
matters not at all we don't know who's going to play yet it's uh, i would say fairly likely that a lot of guys will either not play or play limited minutes and you know the sixers as is custom could not get through eight games without having a, a catastrophic injury situation before them without Joel Embiid having multiple things knock him out of games for precautionary reasons and I don't know Seamus I I feel like the mood has turned from there's a lot of optimism in Philadelphia surrounding the Sixers to just everyone it feels like people believe their fate is sealed at this point i don't i don't feel the same maybe all that juice is being transferred to the flyers but from my perspective i just see a lot of people i don't want to say checking out but at least like preparing themselves for what they see as the inevitable i'm sort of mentally checked out to be honest with you it just they're not a fun team to watch they're infuriating uh, if Joel isn't on the court, it's just a disaster out there. It feels like sometimes Ben's gone, unfortunately. And, you know, it feels like we're stuck in neutral in a way because there are so many variables that went into this season in, in terms of this quarantine, the roster construction, things of that nature, the coaching staff, where because of all those variables and because of the kind of insanity of this restart and now we have injuries to the team, there might not be the wholesale changes that we truly, as fans, as myself, maybe not you, want to occur this offseason, whether it's firing Elton Brand, firing Brett Brown, doing a reset where you dump Al Horford's contract with some assets or players or picks and you try to do a swap, with, you know, do this kind of reset around Ben and Joe. And because of the injury to Ben, you could make the, you know, contrarian argument oh we never had our guys in the playoffs we never saw our team together we have to run it back another year and just kind of you know stuck in the mud a little bit and you know of course they're playing fucking boston and they've had our number you know i think they did well this year but just historically in the last in the brad stevens brett brown era it's been pretty infuriating dating back to that playoff series in 2018 people forget and i've gotten arguments with this on people on twitter and it pisses me off the Sixers were favored in that series. I don't care that they were a seed below Boston. They were the Vegas favorites because Kyrie and Hayward were both out. And they blew it. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are only better now. And they have Hayward back. And Kemba's awesome. One of my favorite players in the league. At least he was pre-Boston. And I'm not sure how the Sixers match up. If Joel is out there, every night you can say they have the best player on the court. And they have a chance to win, but just the totality of the roster, even though in theory it could be more talented than Boston, it just doesn't fit well. They don't execute well enough. And, you know, I think Brad is going to coach circles around Brett and um, already prepping myself mentally for, you know, disappointment, though. In reality, maybe I think it goes seven games. You know, if Joel is out there, maybe you get a crazy. Al 2018 vintage game maybe you have a a shake outlier shooting game a game where Tatum goes cold and you know maybe they fall ass backwards into the second round so it's it's not necessarily a given that they're going to lose this series I just don't have that optimism right now I don't have that excitement boost like burning in me the way I did the last two postseasons you know the first uh, post-process postseasons and you know it's a little disheartening the way things got set up with the restart it kind of kills the momentum of you know the classic saturday first 
afternoon, night playoff game in April. So just a weird situation right now. And because of all those circumstances, and now you have the Flyers playing super well, the Phillies bullpen is a disaster, but they have the best offense in the in Major League Baseball right now. There are other interests that are capturing you know Sixers fans' imaginations right now. So it's kind of easy to kind of get out of it and check out a little bit and you know watch something that actually makes you happy instead of something that makes you want to pull your hair out yeah so i don't want to get too deep into we'll get into the matchup stuff with the celtics in a little bit i want to focus on something you said about the the 2018 series in that they were the favorites coming in i think that i i think two ways about this one, I think it's understandable that they lost, given that that was the first time that Joel and Ben were in a playoff environment. And, you know, obviously Jason Tatum way outperformed in that setting. And so it's not an excuse for them to underwhelm in the way that they did. But I think it like, look, that was that should have been and was to some degree like the punch in the mouth that a lot of guys need. They have to understand all right, this is what it's really like. Like, yeah, they beat Miami in the first round, but that's not a real team that was going anywhere. They're playing like fucking Whiteside and James Johnson and Dragic and all these guys that are better if they are playing with real people next to them, but we're not any sort of real real threat in the playoffs. So I do think it was, I sort of expected it, but at the same time, and this is something that, I think looks worse as time passes. You never know when the moments are going to come for a team to contend, right? Like that's been the argument for the people who are super anti-tanking. Their argument is, well, you never know when things are going to line up and maybe this year is the year. And Toronto last year, to some degree, is the best example of that. They had a a competitive core for a long time. They eventually... parted with DeMar DeRozan to get the final piece Kawhi Leonard but they were able to build a contender and just kind of wait for their moment to strike and you know I think there's some merit to that idea and I think when we look back at that 2018 season that 2018 run I don't know I I still think they would have lost even if they make it to the finals or even the conference finals and I don't know that I would have say they'd could win either of those series, but it was a chance for them to go deep into the playoffs. And they were, I don't want to say handed an opportunity to win a second round series, but it was open for them and they fell flat on their face. And, and, you know, over time, a lot of teams end up looking back on those moments as well, shit, that might've been our best chance. Like if you look at a guy that Joel Embiid's been compared to a lot, Akeem Olajuwon, I think it was his second year in the league when him and Ralph Sampson led that Correct. team that 86. went to the finals and they played uh, the Celtics and Celtics were by far the best team in the league that year. They lose in the finals. And at the time, people believed like, oh man, this this Houston team is going to be the team for like the next decade. They think you see these two young big men who blow past the Lakers in the conference finals who actually gave the Celtics some problems despite the fact that the Celtics were dominant that whole season and you think well this is it like the league's over and then over the course of the next few years Samson's knees give out they have drug problems that plague the team they mismanage certain guys and don't bring in the right pieces around Hakeem 
And it takes until 93-94 when Jordan goes on his baseball sabbatical and Hakeem finally hits his like his apex and they get the right blend of guys around him. That's when they finally are able to break through almost a decade later. And prior to that, there were a lot of you know, first round, second round exits. There was even a season in the early 90s where I believe those Rockets didn't even make the playoffs. And so, you know, people see young, talented guys in 2018 and they think, oh, they'll just, they'll, number one, they'll be together for a long time. Number two, they're going to get better and they're going to compete and go deeper. But that's not always true. That's not looking at it as, okay, who are the other up and comers? How are these teams going to change things? And so, I do think we're going to look back on that season as a really big missed opportunity, if not to win a title, then at least to get more playoff reps and to you know get experience in those big moments because they still don't have enough of those yet, I don't think, to go on a real finals run. 2019 is that year for me for a couple of reasons. LeBron didn't make the playoffs for the first time since 2004. Golden State had two catastrophic injuries that led them to losing in the finals. They hung tough with that Toronto team, obviously, until the literally the last second of that Game 7. And I think they could have taken care of the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Jimmy goes. J.J. Redick goes. The team isn't the same. They don't have that perimeter score that they're severely lacking this season. To win a championship, if you're not this multi-year dynasty, if you don't have this, you know, pantheon-level super-duper star, a LeBron, a Steph, a Kevin Durant, you need every single thing to break right. And unfortunately, it felt like that year was all of those circumstances, like I said, with L.A., Golden State's kind of injury collapse, and the Bucks not necessarily being as good as they are this year. That was the opportunity. That was the core they'll never have again. And it's a damn shame not having a single competent backup big man is something that could have, you know, decided whether this era of Sixers basketball is remembered as, you know, one of the greatest things we've ever seen with a unlikely championship run, a 2011 Mavs, a 2004 Pistons-esque move. And now we just play the what-if game for the rest of time. Yeah, and I agree with you that last year is a huge, huge one of these, especially because, like, look, in 2018, they were young. There were a lot of excuses. They were young, and there are a lot of other excuses or, or things you can point to. Like, in that series, Brad Stevens did a way better job than Brett Brown did, and it wasn't even close. Last year, Brett made a bunch of adjustments that changed the complexion of that I series. thought he was good in the playoffs and, last year. Yeah, so like the coaching was good last year. The roster was good. You had the five guys that, you know, I think that starting five could go up against pretty much anybody when they were on their day. And they had an identity. They had two guys in Butler and Embiid where Butler was the guy, the the perimeter initiator. Joel was anchoring the defense. Ben was dealing with Kawhi. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? What are you humming about? I thought he sucked. He sucked in that round. Who did? Ben. Look at that's what the numbers uh, versus Ben. I mean, that's that's part of the ben issue was like else. where they could have just had that. I mean, Ka- Kawhi had an all-time postseason. They looked like friggin' Jordan out there. 
He did, but Kawhi in Game 7 shot 50% from the field versus every non-Simmons defender was like 2 for 11 against Ben. That like Obviously, offensively, Ben had all kinds ghost, of issues. Ghost. Once again. But defensively, he was like, that's the guy that you stick on every team's top option. And we're going to get to how that's going to impact them this year. The point being, though, there were no... Besides the fucking backup center thing, there were no real glaring issues with that team. Yeah, they had some problems with like bench creation, but because Butler was there and he was playing so many minutes as like a a backup point guard anyway, that almost didn't matter. And it was just that one thing that they couldn't figure out. So here this year, Seamus, because of Ben's injury, I think we're going to see something that we've never really gotten to see because. Ben has been as durable as he's been, but it's a more competent team around a, a, with a Joel Embiid-centric offense. Obviously, we saw it in Joel's rookie year where he's playing with the likes of Gerald Henderson and Sergio Rodriguez and you know a bunch of like guys who are no longer in the league. But now we get to see it with, and obviously... We know your thoughts and the general thoughts on Al Horford and Tobias Harris and some of these other guys, but these are much better players, more talented players. And I think we've seen encouraging signs from Joel on offense. He was brutal against Toronto on Wednesday night against the, it wasn't their, their best defensive performance and he made it look much better than it was. But this is sort of the proof of concept for, okay, what would this world look like if they ended up trading Ben one day and built around Joel, not saying that that's going to happen. And in fact, I wrote that they should not do that this week, but I I do think it gives them like, okay, what does this look like in a playoff environment to build almost exclusively around Joel's post-ups? It does offer a glimpse. And I think, you know, that's, you know, we could say a thousand things are the X factor, but that's, a variable, you could say, where, you know, this could unlock a new dimension of Joe we've never seen in the postseason before. You know, what if they throw Mike Scott in there in the rotation now? He's played well uh, against both, both Toronto and Phoenix. And I think he should be in the playoff rotation. And maybe we get some crunch time lineups where Mike Scott's in there, space in the floor. You know, the, analytically, statistically, the numbers of Scott sharing the floor with Joe are fantastic this season and have been. So maybe you really do have a roster around him where you have guys like Shake and Alec Burks, who's come on fantastically as a midseason pickup, you know, spacing the floor and playing, you know, a true the true nature of how you should play when you have a dominant superstar center. So I want to come back to that Mike Scott point in a second, Seamus. We're going to take a quick ad break, and then we'll be back to talk some more about the matchup with Celtics and how everything's going to play out. So I want to tell you about one of our new sponsors this week, NFL Sunday Ticket, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL, and with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. You never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. I, Seamus, I'm sure you have either had Red Zone at your home or 
gone somewhere where they've had red zone it is a delightful I, ha I had it growing up i don't have it at my current apartment but with the, i'm serious with this new sunday ticket deal i'm probably going to get it absolutely it's it's an indispensable part of a, a sunday especially the eagles bye week sunday there's nothing better than or monday that. night football or thursday it's great for gamblers great for fantasy heads on both of those things so and then you use you watch nfl sunday ticket and then you make some wagers on bet online that's what i'm talking about so no matter where you live nfl sunday ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious sundays ever Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off of your subscription. A whole 15% off. That's, That's a, a great lot. Deal. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. I'm looking it up right now. But there you go. I I'm in. <laughs> I think you have to tell our friends about another sponsor of ours, Seamus. One of my favorites, DealDash. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0. It only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, Everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners, just our listeners, you guys out there, you gals, however you identify yourself, an extra 100, 100 free bids upon sign, upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code SLANT or DealDash.fm backslash SLANT. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash slant. I have a confession to make about that ad read, Seamus. Oh. Whenever you get to the part where it says, and even cars, the only thing I think of, like the idea of bidding on a car online is, did you ever see back in the day, it was the anti-piracy yeah. ads from like the music industry and the video game industry yeah, they were yeah. like you wouldn't download a car and it's like well, well I now absolutely, i am i would fucking 100 percent download a car illegally if i could do that and have a car that way are you kidding me save myself a lot of money in the long run those are very ineffective ads did not stop me from i don't want to incriminate myself here but you know skirting around the laws as it pertains to file sharing let's put it that way um anyway back to the subject at hand so Seamus you brought up Mike Scott and his potential to be in the playoff rotation and here's something that I was thinking about and I'm I'm going to be writing a, an extensive season preview but just to spitball with some of this stuff a little bit the Ben Simmons injury really screws them against Boston specifically because number one in their starting or crunch time lineup they have three guys three perimeter guys that you have to deal with Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum specifically they're they're the two top guys and then Jalen Brown the third guy there and you know with Simmons in the lineup and the the starting lineup that I think you would have hoped to have 
you could say, okay, Ben is going to check Jason Tatum. Richardson probably takes Kemba Walker. And then I, I think you could probably get away with Tobias Harris on Jalen Brown. The, I, I think Brown is a better athlete than him and will probably cause him some problems there. But I think less of Brown's skill set than I do the others. So you kind of take your chances on that one. Now you're in a position where, okay, let's say Al Horford is the starter. And that's where Brett went early. I don't know that that's what he'll do in the playoffs. But for argument's sake, let's say they go there. Well, now who takes the Tatum assignment? Is Tobias Harris taking it? Because he's the one that's big enough to take it. But I think Tatum would abuse him. Is Josh Richardson taking it? Because in that case... Who the hell are you sticking on Kemba Walker? I don't think Shake Milton is at all equipped to take that matchup. And that's just, it gets very problematic. And then Tobias Harris certainly isn't checking a point guard. That's just not within his wheelhouse. And then regardless of what you do, then Jalen Brown is just like, all right, regardless, I'm going to end up with one of probably Shake Milton or maybe Al Horford on him. And you sort of see the problem with having to start Horford in that scenario. Like, there's no defensive utility that he brings. Like, I think when you put him on, you saw Horford defend Siakam well in that Toronto game. I thought he did an excellent job there. And that's the strategy the Sixers have chosen to go to when they've played Toronto. I know a lot in the playoffs last season, there was a lot of Joel Embiid on Siakam and they, they took him out of games that way. I don't think you can do that against this Boston team. And I don't think in the starting closing lineups that the too big lineup is necessarily viable. So I don't know. I don't think Mike Scott helps there, but I don't know who they're going to bring in or how they're going to fill out that lineup in a way that doesn't leave them completely exposed against these guys. This is where they desperately, desperately miss Ben. They have no it's one who could check. Absence. They have no one that can check Tatum. Do you throw and, to, and not just Tatum? Would you throw to, like? Would you throw Tobias on him? I guess that's what you have to. I try. think you have to because you throw Jay Rich on Kemba. I think put yeah. Al Al on Jalen. You put Shake on Hayward. Or Marcus Smart. I guess it depends. Depends on, on who you up. know what what lineup they're doing. Yeah, but I I. To, when you talk it out like that, it's like they're going to be screwed in in one way or another. Because, again, I, I think Horford's a really smart defender, but I think Jalen Brown can take advantage of that if they end up going that way. And I think you have to have more of a wing type in the lineup to deal with that. And so then you get into, well, who is that? Is it is it Glenn Robinson? Does he have to start and, and play – serious minutes for this team because he barely played throughout the restart because of you know first health issues and then just looking at other guys in different games i mean brett wouldn't at least not initially unless they go down 2-0 or 3-0 and he just wants to make a drastic change do you would you start thibel i wouldn't but i'm just curious your take they might have to I, I think I if they get down, they might have to change it. But I think initially you go with Al out there, see what he gives you. And, you know, if, if that really doesn't work at all, you, you have to throw someone else out there to keep 
you know, they just have so many, so much offensive firepower for guys who can create for themselves. And they're a problem. Walking buckets. The other problem that I see, regardless of how the matchups end up shaking out, and, and I wrote this after, I think it was the Phoenix game this week, is that the defenders that are remaining that are going to be tasked with these assignments all have a lot of the same problems. I think, and again, I think Matisse has been exceptional for a rookie wing defender this year. You wouldn't hear me say anything otherwise. Certainly. But but him, Josh, and Glenn Robinson are all guys that are a little jittery and can get baited into pump fakes and take silly fouls and get caught on reach-ins. And when they're on secondary type assignments, when they're on, when Ben is the guy taking the Jason Tatum's of the world, they can get away with that stuff a little more. Number one, because Joel is always on the back end to help them out. Number two, because the guys they're defending are often a step slower and allow them to recover. But when you're playing against somebody like Tatum or like Kemba Walker in uh, the other instance, those guys will punish you if you give them windows to to attack. So I'm worried about having to rely on, like we've seen with Matisse the last few games, as he's taken the top assignments, he's getting baited into foul after foul after foul. And the other thing is, the officials in Orlando so far, we'll see if this changes in the playoffs. They've been very foul happy. I think fouls in general are up, and that doesn't favor a guy like Matisse, who, you know, for all his strengths on defense, learning how to not foul while still playing good defense is still a nightly challenge for him. So I think that that's a particularly glaring issue in this matchup, and it's one that. I don't know that there's a natural solution for. I saw this earlier. What do you think Matisse is shooting from three this year? Uh, if I had to guess, it'd be league average, but it doesn't feel like it all the time. Yeah, he's shooting 35 when I think 2.4 per game. That seems way higher than he is. I would have guessed like 31. It's weird because... Number one, he started the season well, but when he's off, there are times when he just he looks like he's never shot a basketball. I mean, he before. shot a corner three off the top corner of the backboard against Phoenix, and that's not the first time he's done that this year. Either. Yeah, I, I actually that's it's remarkable how many times I can remember him doing that this year for a guy who's a you know at least a passable shooter. The other thing, too, Seamus, that we haven't gotten to yet is I don't know how you play guys like Furkan Korkmaz in this series. We saw how that went when they played Boston in 2018 in the playoffs and certainly historically in this matchup that if they get weak links in the chain like that, they will they will punish them every time. They're, switch they and will, switch until they can. Yes, they will hunt those matchups, and they are capable of doing so because they have three different guys – Sometimes for like you could argue Smart could probably do the same thing, especially because his strength advantage against Korkmaz will just be disastrous, insane. So uh, they might have four guys on the floor at a time, plus a big man that will be able to exploit the matchups on the wing in some way. So that is, if there's a case for Boston running away with this series, I think that's it. 
Is yeah. there any reason for you to feel positive, Seamus, about this one? Just Joe. That's always what it comes down to, right? I Yeah, there's literally nothing else in their favor right now. They don't have offensive firepower. They're overmatched defensively. But they have the best center in basketball. And maybe, maybe finally, pieces that fit around him a little bit better than they usually do. Do they, though? <laughs> I mean, you probably have more... It depends more sh- on how they use them. I, I mean, guess. you probably have more shooting on the floor. Yeah, it depends on Brett's usage. So here's what I would say. I think Al Horford has been legit pretty good during the Orlando yeah. games. Maybe he's a triple agent. <laughs> What's the triple part that he's actually so trying he, to play for them now? So he, he's... That means Boston thinks he's a double agent. But he's actually a triple agent. And that he's pro Sixers and has been playing possum all year and is now ready to attack when they least expect him. I think the the most encouraging sign with Horford is that defensively he has had the legs to to cover guys in ways that he didn't show throughout the year. Like the again, the perfect example is that Toronto game Wednesday night. I thought he did a great job staying in front of Siakam and even when he wasn't attempting shots there were a lot of plays where Siakam was forced to pass out instead of attacking the rim and so if he can hang tough in that matchup Siakam was really good this year now that Kawhi's gone then I think there's some hope for him in this matchup obviously the big thing is going to be is he making shots and I think he's I don't have the numbers off the top of my head I'm confident that he is shot well from three in orlando he's shot, shooting 53 percent from three and i th- on i, th- I think 2.7 attempts per game yeah so I that's wrote about not it in the newsletter this morning. obviously yeah but, but if he's shooting 37 right even if he shoots above average from three that's a, a huge win for them because i do think they can get value out of his defense and the other thing is and i don't know if you've noticed this or felt this way Seamus it feels like since Ben's been out of the lineup that he's and it's obviously very limited sample here with the additional space they have in the paint because people aren't sagging off their players and at times they've been playing five out when Joe hits the bench there's been a lot more space for him to take advantage of as a passer like when he's been getting passing been terrific in the post or yeah, and it, and guys have been cutting into space rather than cutting into, you know, people just standing in the paint and waiting for Ben to drive at them. I think that's made a huge difference for Horford. And, you know, you see some of why they might have wanted to bring him onto this team and where they can get value out of him offensively. It's kind of a bummer that they can't do so when they have their starting lineup fully healthy and their best player is all healthy but uh, I guess if there's a silver lining it's that he has started to look closer to the guy he was in Boston and Atlanta than he has looked at pretty much any other time since he got here obviously you want Ben out there but that's another facet of what I'm saying where the roster may fit a little bit easier right now yeah I, I guess when you only have 
you don't have three guys in the starting lineup who want to post up. It's better than having four guys in the starting lineup who want to post up. Totally. (laughs) Um, What do we think of Tobias in this matchup, Seamus? Do you think... Because he's the obvious guy. If if Joel is going to carry the mantle offensively for this team, I think Tobias has to be number two. And I don't like maybe there's a case for Richardson depending on how they choose to guard it. But I, I think if anyone if anyone is going to be the number two, it's got to be him. Number one because that's what he's getting paid to do. But number two. Because if if he ends up having to take the Tatum assignment or even the Brown assignment, one way to slow them down is to force them to have to work on the other end. That's a thing that, you know, it's sort of an old maxim that I don't know that there's always statistical evidence of that. But if you can wear guys down by making them work and and drawing fouls on them, etc., that goes a long way toward dealing with the defensive issues, too. He needs to shoot way more threes. He needs to have less of a conscience and needs to be going for 22, 23, 24 at night, which I think is possible. I do. And I I think the threes also can't come without the attack in the basket and getting fouled. He said we spoke to him after the game against Toronto on Wednesday. And I believe I want to say he shot eight free throws against Toronto and did a great job of, you know, he was attacking smaller guys in their lineup. They were, they were undermanned a little bit. So I don't know that he's capable of doing that against, against them when they have Ibaka and Anunobi healthy. And I don't know that he's going to be able to do what he did against Toronto against Boston, because even if he gets say Marcus Smart on a switch, Marcus Smart's not the guy you're going to post up and try Thick to boy. back him down. That's like one of the things he's best at. His where his strength really shines through. So it's going to have to be a lot of beating guys off the dribble. We have seen them run some Embiid Harris pick and rolls during the restart. Something that I know a lot of people have been clamoring for. Honestly, I think they might be leaning too heavily on pick and rolls at this point. There's been a lot of wait by how things have changed, right? Yeah, it's like they can never find the happy medium. And I guess, you know, there's an argument that their personnel is just better suited to do more of the pick and roll stuff. Like Alec Burks, that's more in his wheelhouse. And when you're turning the offense over to him, it's probably better to do that than to run him through dribble handoffs and so forth. But, yeah, they they can never just find a, a middle ground between incorporating the old stuff with adding the stuff that, uh, people have been begging for for years. It's always one or the other, which is a bit of a bummer. Does that not sum up the team? All right. Listen, buddy, it's, you said it. Uh, if we're looking forward here and in a, in a series where the Sixers somehow managed to win and we assume that the things we think will happen, like Joel having to take over, Harris having to be the number two, who do you see as the biggest X factor for them to try to get a win here? It's got to be Shake, right? Yeah, I, I, there's a great case for him, at least. I just think the there's shooting variance there. What if he has six or seven threes in a game? 
goes for 28. I think it's as important that he has a competent defensive series. Sure. Because there is a, there is a universe where, you know, we talked about Furkan some, but there is a universe where Shake ends up becoming this year's version of their Ooh. own problems of guys getting hunted. Ooh. And he's expected to play it. Like, I, I think if it happens to You're Mons, scaring me. Well, so listen, here's what I'm saying. If if it happens to Cork Maz, I think you can just wash your hands of him and say, well, fuck it, we just won't play him. If Shake ends up getting picked on, if they find that to be a favorable matchup and Tatum and Kemba and Brown start attacking him and we see the same sort of thing that we saw in 2018, I don't know that they have an answer for that like uh, Alec Burks is not a good defender it's not like you can bring him in yeah and say well you're just the guy now because maybe uh, maybe he's just got more veteran savvy but it's never really shown up on on defense I just I think that that is a potential uh, danger zone for them now if he holds up and if they are not paying as much attention to him beyond the arc as they should I agree with you. I think offensively he can potentially swing the series, but I think it can go the other way too because I, I think he's a prime candidate for them to to put his chops to the test on defense because that, that seems like – like if I'm trying to scout it from a Boston perspective, you know, Tobias is not a great defender, but he's at least a big body. Richardson is a pretty good defender. Horford and Embiid obviously are – you know they they're fine and not really involved with the or as involved with the wing stuff. Shakes the guy who stands out as okay. You got to prove yourself, buddy. So I I think Stevens would that would probably be one of the the top things on my my coaching whiteboard heading into the series. How do you think Brett matches up with Brad? Like, what's your what are your expectations for Brett in the series? Well, number one, he's got to be much better than he was in no. 2018 because that was just, you know, they he didn't do anything until it was basically too late. Yes. Um, I understand. I understand why. Yeah. Because, the, you know, like bringing TJ in for Covington was just it, it's insane that it worked. Number one. Number two, I get why he's reluctant to move off of. Uh, Cov at the time because defensively he's a very important piece of that team and so on and so forth but um, yeah I, I expect him to be, be much better there uh, what I would like to see and I think we've seen some of this in small doses which is obviously guys are playing most teams are playing vanilla on offense and defense during these restart games for good reason I would like to see them mix up coverages, possession to possession more. Uh, I made a comment about this on Twitter last night. They have used Joel more in like hedges and shows on pick and rolls, which is something that they historically have not done really at all. I, I know that people wanted them to do that with Horford because it's more in his wheelhouse, but they very much want Joel sinking and dropping and being toward the rim to protect it and so i think it's interesting that at least we've seen a little bit of it we've seen i wouldn't call it blitzing because it hasn't been super aggressive but they're at least bringing him up and showing different looks to teams so i'm curious if if they'll do that i think they do need to do that against 
uh, Kemba and Tatum just to keep them. It's the same reason that you throw different sorts of double teams with different timing at Joel Embiid because you want to make sure that they don't feel comfortable and get into a groove. And I think that's probably been the biggest and most legitimate criticism of the defense under Brown is like, I don't have a problem with their base scheme, but they've been too reluctant to adjust it. And they've been too reluctant to, you know, mix things up when guys are obviously settling into a rhythm against it. So that that's the biggest thing on my mind. Obviously the rotation and all that stuff matters, but that is hard to uh, get a handle on without seeing how they go out there first. So it, it starts with the defense to me. Some And that also comes with the caveat that they have to play harder on defense. I think when they have competed, and I think that that has been the case, uh, that was the case against Toronto and the bench players certainly against Phoenix played harder there. I, I think they'll be much better as long as the compete level is up, which was a big issue throughout the first seven, and it'll be eight games against Houston on Friday night. He's coaching for his job, Brett. So what do you want to see as the, from the fan perspective? What do you want to see out of Brett? I'd like, I know we've obviously talked about uh, he's almost certainly gone no matter what, and you're ready to move on, but not this, not that this. I want him to go down fighting. Either. I want him to go down fighting. Yeah, uh, I think the he shouldn't have any reluctance to make lineup changes, whether that's the starting lineup or rotation on the fly. You know, you don't want a repeat of 2018, as you said before, where it was by the time they made a lineup change, it was too late. If they go down one nothing, fuck it, change it up, throw Matisse in there, start Burks for more offensive firepower, just try to outgun them. You know, try everything. I think one thing that it'll be interesting to to track here, or at least from the like the coach's side of this, if I'm trying to step into his shoes, I think that they're a team that the losses are going to look ugly and the wins are going to look ugly. And so yes. it might make it seem like they need to make changes when maybe they don't have to. And this isn't like, I'm not excuse. Like if he doesn't make changes, this is not an excuse for him not to do so and to get it right. But I think there's a, like, this is a team that could get blown out in game one but still have played the quote unquote right lineup because I just, Definitely. I don't think they have, they don't have the personnel that they can just put up points every game the way they should. And they no longer have the personnel that defensively they're going to be lined up, be able to line up the perfect way against Boston's perimeter guys. So I would probably like, again, this is just me. This is not Brett. I would probably give it two games before I make any major changes, but I agree with you that there is an urgency that needs to be shown. And if there are signs in the first game that are like, this has to change, I would not be reluctant to say, especially as a guy that like his job is on the line, I have to imagine that he's going to be throwing the kitchen sink at, at any problem that, that pops up. I like the word urgency. I think that, sums it up succinctly well and look at it this way too not even from the coach's perspective i think everybody on this roster should have some urgency because there's no guarantee that 
any of these guys are going to be back next year. Uh, with the way this season has gone, I don't know. Like, uh, this is not based on reporting. This is just me, like, tea leave reading. How how could you guarantee anybody a spot on this roster next year, regardless of how much money you're making, regardless of your production? There is not really a case when they came in with these expectations to say, well, it's going to be uh, we replace the coach and that's the the magic cure-all for everything if this goes south. Like I, I think these guys should all be out there trying to prove something. They, they've talked a big game about it. They're, they mentioned their improved chemistry and that they believe that they can get this right and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I want to see it. We've heard that at times this year, and then they go back to – the lackadaisical defense and and shitty effort and, and so on and so forth. So I I would like to see them sustain what they've claimed. How about that? That's that's my number one want going to this series. If they they shouldn't on pay like they shouldn't lose. They probably will. They're a worse team than Boston is right now. But I I think they should at least give people some hope that like all right they didn't go out with their tails tucked between their legs there's no excuse for that shit there is no tomorrow even for all we know they could panic trade one of the two big guys yeah i i don't see it not happening that, not, yet I not that i want them to of... or they're definitely going to I, I i don't want to but with this you know ownership in front office you know anything is possible yeah i don't i wouldn't rule you never rule anything out. I learned that lesson the hard way on the Jimmy Butler thing when every single person I talked to in the organization was like, no, we'd never do it. And then I go to take a nap on a Saturday afternoon. Classic shameless oh, hey, move. Su- hey, surprise. They traded for Jimmy Butler. So never say never. That's That was a, a very important career lesson for me. Humbling. But you're a great reporter, um, so it's fine. Well, you know, I try my best. Uh, do we have anything else, Seamus? Do you have any Flyers thoughts or a loser of the week before we go? I don't have a loser of the week. Let's just wrap it up. We'll do the uh, post roll. All right. Well, before we go, once again, want to tell you about our friends at Bet Online because sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action. The Phillies bullpen is a big pile of crap, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners. Bet online where you can take advantage of that terrible Phillies bullpen. You can check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, the Abington native, as we've previously discussed, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans and the series they're calling Fandemic. So visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So thank you to everybody for for tuning in today. Thank you to Sunday Ticket, DL Dash, and BetOnline for sponsoring our wonderful podcast. And we will talk to you guys soon. I think Seamus and I will probably kick up the output now that the playoffs are here it might be a short-lived playoff run but (laughs) we will do our best to uh to talk through it and and give you guys something to either celebrate with or commiserate with so until then we will uh catch you on the flip side and everybody please continue to wear your mask
Talk to you next week. Fuck Boston. He said it, not me. <laughs>